Good morning. Good morning, my beloved Orangewood. It's always great to be with you. I'm so glad that God has brought you here into his presence because he tells us where two or more are gathered, there he is. So isn't it great to know that God is with us? God is for us. God loves us. I'm not sure where you are in the journey right now. Maybe uh, you don't feel that way, but we've gathered in his presence to be reminded of who God is and to be reminded whose God is for. I mean, he loves us. It's such a good news. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, actually right to where we left off last week, if you'll turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to start there, but we'll also spring from there into the book of Numbers. We're going to actually look at a couple of verses in Numbers chapter 14. This morning we're going to start a little mini-series, it's just a three-week series on God's glorious goal. What is God's goal for, for the entire world, the universe? Because as we find God's goal being made in his image, we find our goal. If we know what God's on mission to accomplish, we realize this is what we need to be on mission to accomplish. So we're going to look at that this morning. What is God's glorious goal of this earth? Do you ever wonder? Do you ever wonder, has he given up on it? I mean, does, does he have a glorious goal for this earth? Have you seen it lately? Wow. But we're going to look at that this week. And next week, we're going to look at God's glorious plan to accomplish this goal. And then lastly, the third week, we're going to look at uh, God's glorious motivation or his fuel to to propel that that plan to accomplish his goal. So put your seatbelt on. We're going to be digging in God's word. And then from there, we'll be launching in the fall into the book of Psalms. And so uh, and how that shapes our worship. They'll give you a little overview of where we are heading uh, this morning or actually even this fall. They say that you can tell a lot about a man by the contents of his toolbox. If you get to his toolbox, it'll tell you a lot about who he is. And if you get to my toolbox, good luck, you'll open it up and you'll find business cards. There's a business card for a plumber and there's one for an electrician, uh, one for a carpenter. Because really, you got to know, you got to have the right man for the right job, right? If you don't have the right man for the right job, well, that's, that's so key. But it's more than just having the right man for the right job. I've found out that uh, you also have to have the right tool. To have the right tool in your hand to accomplish the right task. I mean, there's something marvelous about that, is it not? Have you ever gotten there and just realized, man, this thing works? Or have you been like me and tried to do the task with the wrong tool and just get really, really frustrated? Well, I've been reminded recently how important it is the right tool for the right job. Recently, when my family got back from vacation, uh, we discovered something that had taken up residence in our laundry room, in our, our pantry. Has anybody here ever heard of pantry moths? All right, if you have blessings to you. <laughs> I mean, people are like, yeah, I've heard of them. Oh, they're terrible. When we got home, what we thought, we went into our laundry room, which is a laundry slash pantry, and what we thought we had were maggots. Oh, they were nasty. 
And they were everywhere. They, in the larva form, apparently, uh, these pantry moths, they look like maggots. They're about half-inch little worm-looking creatures uh, that have a way of getting everywhere. I mean, what we had in there was like unopened canned tuna fish. Guess what? They were on there. Uh, everything that we had that was wrapped and sealed, they seemed to be caked around there. And eventually, as we're looking at all these, what we thought were originally were maggots, all of a sudden you start diving by. What are these things flying around? How come all these moths got in here? And you realize, oh, those larva things turn into these moth things that are really hard to get out of your laundry room. I'm telling you right now, they, they have, if, if you see a moth, just to let you know, good news, bad news, they've, they've already multiplied more than you can ever imagine, and you got them. And how do you get rid of them? The right tool for the right job. I'm telling you, it's nasty. We had to remove everything. We had to throw out everything. And sometimes it's kind of hard, like, hey, can we save this? It's never been opened. Oh, there's one on there. Throw it away. Oh, it's gross, you know. Or, or, or what about this? Is this salvageable? And eventually you're just carrying everything you had in there, throwing, let's throw it out. As a matter of fact, let's get rid of the cabinets. <laughs> I can't get rid of them. They're everywhere. I got a new drill recently. Every man needs a good drill. If I'm telling you, leave the service today. If you don't have a good drill, just go and just buy. A, what a good drill does in your hand. I mean, it's just like, I'm empowered. I mean, all of a sudden, I, I mean, it's like, man, I, I have skill I didn't know I had. But it's, it's, it's not only the right drill, you got to have the right bit. Because some engineer thought it would be a great idea to have different shapes, size bits, and heads, and all the different things. That The right drill, the right bill, the bit, and man, it's a beautiful thing. And so, sure enough... I had the skill to take down our cabinets. Please know I don't have the skill to put them back up, you know. Um, I'll get somebody else to do that. But having that right tool, I mean, I was empowered. I mean, I, I feel like I conquered the world. I was like, what else can I take down? I mean, what else? I mean, come on, put it in front of me. I got it. We're going to go after it. You know, when my skill is like, what I'm really good at, I want to stay at, changing light bulbs. If you ever need any help, I mean, that, that's about me. Well, having the right tool for the job and having the right man for the job leads us to say, well, what, what, what has God created us for? What has God created the entire world for? Why are we here? Why did God create the heavens and the earth? And we're going to realize that, that scripture tells us this one story of, of why God did it. It's pretty amazing. It says this, that, that God created everything. I mean, he spoke and out of nothing, the universe came into existence. All the mountains you see, the seas, the land, the earth, the sky, all the humans, the creatures. God says he created every single one of those things for his own glory. And I think if you've been around church, you've probably heard that before. If you've been around Christians, you might have even heard that before. And it might even sound familiar when you say, yeah, 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 God created everything for his own glory. You know, the word glory is interesting. It's probably one of those churchy words that you hear a lot that you probably nod your head and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And deep down, if someone says, what does the word glory mean? You're like, I don't know. It's kind of somewhat hard to define. It's, it's interesting. It, it actually comes from a word, a root word of weight, weighty. We're going to talk more as, as we unpack this this sermon, we're going to talk more about what does glory mean. So when you hear things like God created everything to his glory, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what it means, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have an idea of what it really means. 
But of all the things that God created for his glory, the, the tool that God created to be in his hand to multiply his glory was you and me. I mean, being made in his image and reflecting who he is. I mean, the ultimate purpose that we have is to be useful to our God, to, to bring him glory in all things we do. And we're going to see how do we do that? How do we accomplish that mission that God has for each one of you? Some of you may want to say, I, I didn't know I was on mission. You know, God's created you to be. And, and not just any, but his. And God wants us to be not only bringing him glory, but we have this incredible joy of being used by him to, to maximize that glory in all the earth. It's exhilarating. We just got to see what God has for us. So if you have your Bible, let's start in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. And then we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 14. But let me tell you about the Bible. You see, this is one story of God. It's an it's a incredible story that starts in a book of Genesis and it, it ends in a book called Revelation. And it's really broken into two main sections, an Old Covenant or an Old Testament and a New Covenant, a New Testament. Um, but if you look closely, you'll realize that that's really just one story that's unfolding over time that, that God has told us. And the hero of the story, whether you find yourself in Genesis or Revelation, it's always Jesus. And he, it all points to him. So when we open up our Bibles, we turn way to the back to 2 Peter chapter 3, the very last verse of 2 Peter. These are God's words. He's, he's put his being right into these words. And we go back to the beginning of the story and, and the book of Numbers. And how many sermons have you heard in the book of Numbers? You're going to get one here today, you know, no extra charge. But it's still, it's God's word as well. It's God's story unfolding. So let's be mindful of that. And these, this story is not just to entertain us. This story is God's story to transform us, to to propel us to do what God has called us to do. Okay, well, let's get to God's word. We're going to look at just three verses today. Second Peter 3.18, then turn to Numbers 14. Hear the word of the Lord. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity, or to him be the glory both now and forever and ever. To him be the glory both now until that day when he returns. To him always be the glory. And then we'll turn to Numbers chapter 14, reading verses 20 and 21. Now we have to understand the context in which this is written. I'm just going to read it now. We'll, we'll pick up the story in a few minutes and it'll make more sense to you. But what I want you to know is the Lord is talking to Moses. And this is what he says to Moses. And this is what he says to us. Numbers 14, verses 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's a reality that's going to happen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, this morning we... We examine your grand design of all things, the glorious, the gracious design to create all things to be filled with your glory, your beauty, your renown, your love. And God, the fact that you've created us to be a part of that story, I mean, in many ways to be a, in Christ Jesus, to be a masterpiece in that story. You've created us to, to multiply your glory here on earth. God, thank you for such a rich and beautiful and noble calling. 
And God, we ask that now you would come and, and you would gloriously join your people through the preaching of your word so that everything that is said and heard will do that which it's designed to do, and that is to magnify the name of Jesus and, and to bring glory to the God who is. God, the, the preacher this morning acknowledges that apart from you, I can do nothing. And apart from you, I have nothing to offer. So would you come and do that which only you could do? Would you come and would you speak through a broken sinner like me? Would you give us ears to hear the glorious voice of your Son, our Savior, Jesus? Would you give us minds to understand what your word is for us? God, would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? And, and God, would you be with us in such a powerful gospel way that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner that brings glory to the name of Jesus. God, the things that I say that are wrong or just my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of our Savior, would you use those things to bring your name glory, to bring joy, encouragement, and refinement to your people? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, I have an outline in your bulletin listed there for you. You'll see that we have two points as we unpack this two passages before us. But in 2 Peter 3.18, we, we begin there because it's actually there that we find the goal of what God has called us to do. As we look through 2 Peter in the last several weeks, we've realized that, that really the goal from the beginning and the end of that is for you and me to grow. It's the whole goal that God has is that, that you and I will grow in God's grace and the knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That we'll grow in our understanding that, that we have the privilege of standing in holy God's presence as his beloved children because of the work of his son cleansed through the blood of Christ, robed in his righteousness. And he's exhorting us to, to now grow in the understanding of that grace, grow in the knowledge of Jesus. But why? Why does he call us a goal, girl? Well, we see God's goal for the whole world so that Jesus would have glory both now and forever. He's basically saying, hey, I want you to, to grow in grace and knowledge so that we will be able to do what God has created us to do, and that is to bring glory to God, to bring glory to Jesus both now and forever. See, the beauty of this little passage is this. If we can find God's mission for the earth, we will find our goal. We will find our mission. And it's laid out so beautifully. Grow so that you can bring glory to God. Now let's go back to that word glory. Again, that, that word that we all probably not. Yeah, yeah, bring glory to God that we're all wondering, what does that actually mean? Let me give you a definition. I mean, glory is the manifestation of God's excellence. Glory is the manifestation, or basically say it this way, it's making visible the beautiful character of God and who he is. It's making visible God's beauty and creation. Look what he's done. He's, he's showing us how magnificent he is. I mean, he speaks and look what happened. It's seeing the, the beauty of God's hand of providence, which is a fancy way to say this. See the beauty that that all things are happening with a sovereign God ruling and reigning. Now, there's a mystery to that. 
It basically means this, that there's nothing happening in your world and this world that God's not in control of. But as we see his glory, it's, it's those times when we see God's hand work. He says he's really there. It happened today, this week at lunch. I had a couple friends together and there was a discussion going on and we were just talking about life and the church and, and things were happening. And, and I just kept looking up saying, God, you're magnificent because I could see your hand at work. And you are such a glorious God. You see, it's when he reveals the beauty, the magnificence of his character, the manifestation of the fact that uh, his glory can be seen. But the most beautiful place for his glory to be seen is in redemption. It's, it's realizing that God takes those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sin. He makes us fully alive in Christ Jesus. It's incredible. God is, because of his love and the work of his son, He's taken you and me who by nature are children of wrath and he's made his beloved sons and daughters of the King Jesus. He's done all that to reveal his glory. He's done all that that we would sit and say, man, what an incredible God he is. So glory is the manifestation of the revealing of his excellence. My favorite painting is of Rembrandt's prodigal son. As a matter of fact, you go in my office here at church, you'll find it. If you go to my home study, you'll find it. I absolutely love Rembrandt's uh, understanding of the return of the younger brother, the prodigal son, he calls it. As a matter of fact, Henry Nowen did a great work that he was able to go, and he went to St. Petersburg, Russia, where the actual print is, the, the original, and he sat before that masterpiece, and he just beheld the, the, the beauty and the story that was being told, and just the, the detail of a, of a son who had squandered everything with crazy living, who was coming back to the father. And with great detail, he, he, he tells of the beauty of that reuniting of son and father. It's incredible. And I'm really, really glad that there's museums that have things like that that we could go see. And, you know, you go to New York City, uh, shoot, you go to Orlando or even Winter Park, and there's, there's museums that, that are on display that we have the privilege of go seeing artwork and go seeing the beauty of, of what someone has done and, and marvel at, man, that's, that's an incredible piece of work. The world is God's museum. You see, God, God created everything so that we would see and say, my goodness, Look at the master's work, not just in creation, but with one another and, and how we are made in his image. You know, the most selfish thing somebody could do is to take a rare, beautiful artwork and hoard it for themselves. Wouldn't that be selfish? Would it be selfish to someone to, to collect treasures of art just so that they can view them and nobody else? Now here, stick with me right here, because here's my point. Sometimes we talk about God's ultimate goal of filling the earth with his glory it can sound a little egocentric. It can sound like, are you telling me that God created everything so everybody could see how great he was? Is that a little egocentric? We have to understand that God creating everything so that we could behold his beauty is the most gracious thing God could do. If he didn't create it, he'd be hoarding it. And he's sharing it with all of us. Well, this handyman in our first house decided that the one thing I was going to tackle was to put some bookshelves up uh, in my little study area because I didn't need them for books. I needed them for my trophies. 
The things that I've accumulated, including Pop Warner trophies that you want to have out there, Little League trophies, high school trophies. I thought it'd be a good idea in our house to have a little, you know, Jeff Jake shrine. I mean, a little, you know, walk in. Hey, there they are. Have you, have you seen the trophies? And by God's grace and the wisdom of my wife, Katie, she said, I'm not sure that's a great idea. I mean, you know, hey, wonderful job, Jeff. Great job on the trophies. But do we want them there? And they eventually emerge back where they belong in a box. If you want to come see them, I'll get the box out. We'll go through them. But you see, for me to display those trophies, it really is egocentric. But for God to do it, it's the most glorious thing he could do. I mean, the most thing he could share is this, this beauty and the reality of who he is. And, and that's why he's created all things. He's created all things to, to make manifestation of his greatness. So that we could do that which we were created to do, and that's worship him and, and be in awe of him. God did create the world to be filled with his glory. He did it by doing it, creating out of nothing. But what I really want you to see this morning, this is so, so important to us, is that his plan won't fail. You gotta, you gotta hear that again. God's plan to fill the earth with his glory will not fail. It won't. Here are our options. God is a liar or God's plan will come to fruition. Because throughout the Bible, he's telling us he created the earth to be filled with his glory. He promises that it will be done. Is he lying to us or is he mighty God that's going to have it completed? How do you feel the world's going right now? I mean, are you looking around, scratching your head, thinking, okay, uh, I'm watching this political process unfold. That's kind of interesting. And, you know, the emergence of ISIS and the wars that are going on and tragedies, uh, the Supreme Court decisions that we got going on. Has anybody ever thought, has God left the building? I mean, does anybody think that the world is completely off his rails? What in the world's going on? And here in the midst of that reality, God is reminding us, let me tell you something. My plan has been, is, and forever will be, I'm going to fill this earth with my glory. And it's not going to fail. And that's where we come to Numbers 14. Let me give you a background, a little bit of what happened in Numbers 14. And to do so, I'm going to have to tell you a little bit more of the story. So just hang with me. This great God who's created all things is a loving God that wants to have us in relationship with him. The story of the Bible is a story how God went to a man of faith, a man named Abraham, and blessed him and loved him and entered into a relationship with him. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people. And through you, all the nations of the earth, Abraham, are going to be blessed. You are going to be my promised, my, my promised people. And God made a sign and seal of that reality through circumcision. It's an incredible story. It's the story of the Bible. But he tells us that, that God's people, I mean, through, through some t- tough circumstances of famine, they wound up in a place of Egypt. And that Egypt at the time was the most powerful nation in the earth. And it was a very pagan nation. It was not a God-honoring worship nation like God's people were. And while they were there, they were mistreated. Matter of fact, they had like 400 years of slavery. Their God's story for God's people was like 400 years of slavery. How's your story going? But God is always faithful to his promises. And at the right time, he says, I'm going to raise up Moses. And, and Moses is going to come. He's going to lead my people out of bondage of slavery. And God rolls up his sleeves and he shows Pharaoh who's boss. I mean, he brings some plagues upon that nation. And the last plague was the greatest plague of them all. My goodness, the death of a firstborn son. And God, with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand, led God's people out of slavery. 
You know what God did? God parted the Red Sea so that they could all go on dry land. And scripture tells us that God led his people with a a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And and every morning they got up and they ate some stuff called, what is it? It's manna. What is this stuff? Bread from heaven was showing up. Just think about the story. Think about if you were there. Think about if you walked through the Red Sea. Think about the reality if you woke up in the morning and some stuff on the ground that was tasty, well, at least edible, that you were eating that God was sustaining. What would it be like to be following that pillar during the day and that fire at night? What would it look like to to have God pour out water from a rock? I mean, this is the God's people. So they're about ready to enter the promised land. And so Moses takes 12 tribes, I'm sorry, 12 spies, one from each tribe. He says, I want you guys to go check out the promised land. So they go check out the promised land. They come back and they said, this place is incredible. You should see the size of the fruit there. I mean, I'll tell you the fertile ground there. This is, this is, this is it. This is a promised land. This is incredible. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, and let's go. Our God is with us and our God is for us and our God is promised. That's our place. We're going home. God is with us. Let's go. And 10 of them said, oh my goodness, there's giants in that land. Oh my goodness, there, there are mountains we can't scale. There, there are things we can't overcome. There are circumstances that are so bad, we can't go. I mean, they, they let the circumstances around them define who they were and, and absolutely trump God's promises. And basically said, although God promised it to go with them and promised to deliver them their promised land, guess what? They got afraid. So we can't do it. And they grumbled. And they forgot. I, I imagine they're a lot like us. I mean, seriously, they're in the desert. I mean, their feet are sore. They're eating manna. They're far from home. It doesn't seem like God is there, although he's really there. And God says to Moses, Moses intervenes. He says, I know you want to take them out, but if you take them out right now, word's going to get out that you're not that strong a God. It's going to get back to Egypt that you got them out of Egypt, but you couldn't get them to the promised land. Don't do that to your name. Bring your name glory. Don't wipe them out. Moses, acting as if Jesus would, stepping and interceding for the people, prays for, pleads for them. And God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to relent. I'll forgive them. But he says in verse 21, but I want you to know something, Moses. On my life, on my very life, I'm going to fill this earth with my glory. I mean, not, my plan's not going to fail. There may be 10 spies who, who turned out to be fraidy cats. But my plan is not going to fail. I'm going to fill this earth with my glory. Do you believe it? Is God a liar? Is God the mighty God of the universe? Are we on the winning team or is, is, is the outcome still to be determined? Is Jesus going to reign wherever the sun will shine on this earth or not? Is he king of kings and lord of lords or not? Is his kingdom come or will come in its fullest or not? You get to the end of the story in Revelation 11, verse 15, and we're reminded of this great truth. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I mean, the end of the story is that the kingdom will come in its fullness. And God is going to fulfill his promises. And no matter how much the world seems off its rails right now, God is not up in heaven throwing his hands up in the sky saying, I don't know what to do. It will come. 
It will be accomplished. That's why Jesus taught his disciples, saying, listen, when you pray, here's how I want you to pray. Pray thy kingdom come. Pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that, that uniting of heaven and earth. That's our whole job. God's will is to fill the earth with his glory. And church, he's going to do it. Not only is he going to do it, he's chosen you and me to be the instruments in his hand to advance Christ's kingdom. That's his plan. I could question him about it. It seems like a crazy plan. He's using knuckleheads like you and me to ensure he's going to fill his glory. But he's basically saying, my hope for the world is not political. My hope for the world is not moral. My hope for the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. My hope for the world is the church being the church and living for him in glory. He has created us to multiply his glory on the earth. It tells us from the very beginning, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, God is going to tell us he created everything out of nothing. It's incredible. But he's going to get to this uh, incredible passage in verses 27 and 28. But he's going to look at you women, look at us men and say, but I've made you in my image of all the things that I've created. You reflect who I am. And I've made you in my image for a specific purpose. I've made you to multiply and to fill the earth with my glory. I've made you to reign and rule over all of creation. Basically, he's saying this. I've created you to take my kingdom and bring my kingdom to wherever there's darkness. Wherever the darkness is in the world, I'm sending you as light. Whenever there's chaos in the world, I'm sending you as order. Wherever there's a void in the world, I'm sending you as beauty. I'm going to send you there to fill the entire earth. That's why he created us. In the story of the Bible, if you know it, he's like, we're like, forget that. We want our own story. We want our own glory. We're going to do it our own way, God. Thank you anyway. And our first parents sinned and rebelled and fell, and their rebellion became our rebellion. Their shame became our shame. Their guilt was our guilt. Their corruption's our guilt, corruption. But you know what about God? God's not giving up. God's not giving up on his plan. He never will. He never will. As a matter of fact, as soon as we rebel, God makes a promise. He said, I'm going to send a seed. I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm going to send one who's going to come and make it all right. I'm going to send one who's going to come and, and get you back on track and get you back on mission. He promises a redeemer in Genesis 3.15 as a seed. And we see that seed come to fruit in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus would give up his very life. Listen, Jesus would give his life for us to be back on mission. Jesus would die so that we could do that which God has created us to do, to fill the earth with his glory. And now, Christian, we are the right instrument in his hand, those of us in Christ Jesus. And the hope of the world is us. It's not political. It's not the next election. It's not us becoming a more moral country. It's the church being the church in love with Jesus and growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and Savior and shining for him wherever he has placed us. You see, we're the ones to bring light into darkness. We're the ones to to bring beauty into the void. We don't wait for politicians to do it. We do it. We don't wait for a mandate to go. We go. Because we are the right instrument in God's hand to bring him glory. He's empowered us with the gospel. He's empowered us with the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. What corner of the earth has God placed you to bring him glory?
One thing we know about God is you are where you are by design. You can argue with him, but your situation in life, by design. And I'm telling you, God has you where you are, the stage of life you have right now, the family you have or don't have right now, the job you have or don't have right now, the retirement you have or don't have right now. God has placed you where he wants you by his design for his glory. So the question is, what corner of the world has God placed you to shine for him? What, where has he placed you to reflect his glory? And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we get in right relationship with him. Second Peter 3.18, grow. Grow in the grace of God that has called you to himself and gives you this equal standing in Christ Jesus. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus. You know what we are? We're little Jesus' museums. I'm serious. I mean, the scripture says that, that we are his workmanship. Basically, we're, we're in Christ Jesus. We're his masterpiece. We're the place that God has designed to place us where we are for the world to come and see the work of God. I mean, they, they, he places us so the world could come and they could look into our still broken lives, still struggling lives, but loving Jesus. And as they look into our lives in love with God, they see him. And they see the beauty and the glory of God. You have been created and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb to be a Jesus museum. For the world to come and to just marvel at a God who loves you. And a God who hasn't given up on you. And a God who, who chooses to use the broken and the weak and the stumbling to bring him glory. And it's glorious. The great thing is, is you don't have to be Jesus because you'll never will be. And he doesn't call you to be. Just be one in love with Jesus. Be one who's walking with Jesus. And what the gospel should free us up to be honest and say, come look at me world because I am a mess like you. I am broken. I say the wrong thing. I often do the wrong thing. I stumble and fall, but I'm repenting and believing all the way home. And God's grace is evident here. God's grace at work it here. <laughs> That's all you're called to do. Grow in that grace, in that knowledge. Something about upstate New York that just going on vacation, maybe it's away from the city lights and the fog and the humidity, but to see the stars up there is incredible. So beautiful. Matter of fact, in the back field at my folks' cottages, we will gather, sometimes put a blanket down, and we'll look up, and oh my goodness, anybody seen satellites? You know, you can see satellites, and we, we see, oh, there goes one. They don't blink. They stay kind of lit on and go across the sky. It's pretty amazing seeing satellites, but they're nothing compared to seeing shooting stars. God does that. I mean, that's incredible. And maybe it's just the darkness, and maybe it's being away from the city lights, but to see the moon, Man, have you ever seen a moon when it's really, really dark and, and a really incredible place? There's a little shop up there. There's a guy named Francis McCarthy who, who takes pictures of the Finger Lakes region. And every time I, I go up there, I go into his shop and I always buy something. And, and they tell me, I'm like, there was a super moon recently and this is a picture that he took uh, over Skinny Atlas Lake in upstate New York. I'm like, oh my goodness. No, seriously, that's, that, that's real? <laughs> that, that's a real picture? Do you know what the moon is? They tell us that the moon's dust. 
you know the moon has absolutely zero ability to reflect, I mean, sorry, to, to have light on its own? There's no batteries in it. There's nothing combustible about the moon that makes it shine and be beautiful. I mean, they say the moon is nothing more than dust in the right alignment with the sun. It's us. I mean, God says you're gloriously made in my image, but you're dust. You're dust. And the only way we're going to shine is that we too, by God's grace, get in the right alignment with the Son of God and reflect the beauty of who he is. You see, we are the right person in Christ Jesus for the job. In Christ Jesus, we are the tool that God has put into this world to be aligned with his Son by his grace to reflect his glory. Let us pray. God, the truth that you would choose to manifest your glory through the broken like us is like telling me that there's something good that could come out of a pantry moth. Because the reality is, is apart from you, I just see so much of that larva and it's just like myself, there's nothing. But God, you have created us by design for your glory. And Jesus, you have redeemed us at the cost of your life for your glory. And Holy Spirit, you have filled us and made us the temple of the Holy God for your glory. And God, we thank you that that you have created everything for your glory. And, and at one day, the, the entire world will be filled with your glory. And we long for that day. We pray for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. The world is messed up. The world is broken. It seems like you've left the building. But we know you haven't. Because you've redeemed us. And you've rescued us. And you said the hope of the world is that we are in a proper alignment with the Son to reflect his glory in a world that's so dark, so filled with chaos, and is so void and empty of meaning. God, may your church be the church. And may your people be aligned and grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that he could receive glory both now into the day of eternity. Amen.